this week on Pointing the Way with Pastor Shad Smith. Welcome to Pointing the Way, a ministry of the Northside Baptist Church in Dallas, Georgia. We pray you will find direction for living as we look into the Word of God today. I'm preaching today on this subject, the privilege of His presence. Have you ever had anybody that you just really wanted to meet? Maybe it was a celebrity or a historical figure. In the, in the area of historical figures, I always wanted to meet Abraham Lincoln. I remember as a boy, I just thought, that's the one president I'd like to meet, old Abe Lincoln. In the realm of celebrities, I've always wanted to meet old Don Knotts. I was thinking this week, and I kind of jotted those down, thinking about who I'd want to meet, Abe Lincoln and Don Knotts. You know, that's about as far on the other opposite ends of the spectrum as you can get, but that's my list. What about you? You ever had anybody that you really just thought, hey, I'd like to meet that person? I want you to imagine, have, with that person in mind, imagine the person you've always wanted to meet. Imagine that person invited you to come visit them. Would you go? Surely you would not ignore their invitation. Well, that's the matter at hand in the verses we've read this morning. You see, you and I have been given the awesome privilege of moving into God's presence and staying there. Now, I don't know what the presence of God means to you today, but I can assure you these words probably meant much more to those first century Jews than it means to anybody in the church today. You see, the Hebrews did not have access to God before Jesus Christ came. If they even tried to walk into God's presence over the tabernacle or the temple, they would have been struck dead just like that. Uh, you and I, we've got to enjoy the privilege of His presence. And that's what this passage is all about. The passage today challenges us to really appreciate what it means to be able to come into His presence corporately and worship Him, to abide in His presence from day to day. I want to give you two or three thoughts this morning on this subject, the privilege of His presence. Notice, first of all, we're met with this awesome truth. Number one, the truth of an unlimited entrance. Now, in the book of Hebrews, we've been reminded over and over again that in the days of the Bible, man did not have an unlimited entrance to God. Only the high priest could go into God's presence, and he could go there one day a year on the Day of Atonement. The common man did not have access to God. The common man couldn't get in there and talk to the Lord. But now, in Hebrews 10, we learn that all of that has changed. Verse 19 says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the believer has an unlimited access, an unlimited entrance into God's presence. I don't know if we appreciate that privilege the way those people appreciate it. We've never known anything but an unlimited entrance to the presence of God. But if you'll put yourself back here and think with me about what it might have been like to live in the days of the Bible and not the day that you and I live in. Imagine, if you will, a Moabite. 
We all know who the Moabites were. They were pagan foreign people, neighbors there with the Israelites. Imagine that you're a Moabite and you're up on the top of the mountains of Moab and you look down on the plain below and you see the tabernacle and you see all the tents of the congregation of Israel. And your curiosity is stirred. So you make your way down to the mountain and you come to the camp of Israel. You see a white linen fence. You walk up to that fence and you follow it all the way around until finally you come to a gate. When you get to the gate, there stands a gatekeeper. And the gatekeeper says, may I help you? And you, the Moabites, say, well, yes, sir, you can. I'd like to come in there and worship God. And he says, and who are you? And the Moabite says, I'm a Moabite. I'm a man from Moab. The gatekeeper says, well, sir, I'm sorry, but a Moabite can't come into the tabernacle. According to the law of Moses, you, sir, are forbidden to enter this place because you're a Moabite. But the Moabite says, but, but I love God, and, and I want to come in there and worship Him. What do I have to do? What would have to happen for me to be able to come into the tabernacle of these Jews and worship? And the gatekeeper says, well, sir, you'd have to be born all over again. You'd have to be born a Jew to be able to get in here with the Jews' worship. And the Moabite says, well, I could never be born again, so could you just at least tell me what it's like in there and what that building is? And he says, well, that building, that's the tabernacle. And inside that building, there's a lampstand, and there's a, a table of showbread, and there's an altar of incense in there. And the Moabite says, oh, if I could just go into that place and and offer incense and, and eat that bread. I, I would love to go in there and just worship and serve God. And the gatekeeper says, you can't go in there. Even if you were a Jew, you couldn't go in there. Because you'd have to be a priest from the tribe of Levi. And, and he points to a man walking into the tabernacle and says, see that fellow? He's going in there, trimming the lamps. He's offering the incense. He's eating that bread. He, he's the priest. And he, he says... I would love to be a, a, a priest, a Jew, not just a Jew, but a priest from the tribe of Levi to go in there. He says, what else can you do? He says, as he opens the curtain, he says, it seems to me that there's a, 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 another room in there. And the gatekeeper says, well, I've never been in that second room, but they tell me that's called the Holy of Holies. That beautiful veil that you just got a glimpse of when he opened the door there, that separates those two rooms. And they tell me that back behind that veil is a, the Ark of the Covenant. And it's a golden chest with a golden lid on it. Inside that, uh, that box is a, is a lot of holy remembrances for our people. Aaron's rod that budded and a pot of the manna and the tablets that Moses brought down from Sinai. And they're in there. And you see that cloud that's coming down from the sky that's coming right down over that building? That's the Shekinah glory cloud. And it comes down into that room. It's the very presence of God. And right on top of that ark, above that mercy seat, between those two cherubim there, the presence of God dwells. And they say it's an awesome thing. And the Moabite boy, he's really interested now. And he says, oh, if I were only born in Israelite, if I'd been born into the tribe of Levi and had become a priest, I'd love to go into that holy of holies. And go in there into the presence of God. I'd probably go in there three or four times a day. Every day. And tell God just how much I love Him. And 
how, how much I adore Him and how much He means to me and just worship in the beauty of His holiness. Oh, that I could just be born a Jew and be a priest from the tribe of Levi and go in there. I'd go worship Him every day. The gatekeeper sad to tell the Moabite looks at him and he says, Even if you were born a Jew, even if you were from the tribe of Levi, even if you managed to become the great high priest, and you would have to be the high priest, not just a priest, but the high priest, you couldn't go in there three or four times a day. You could only go in there one day a year. And even then, you couldn't stay long. You'd go in there off of the blood of the animal sacrifice, and you'd get out, and you'd have to stay gone for another year. So he looks at the Moabite, and he says, Bud, you're just out of luck. You're not a Jew. You're not from the tribe of Levi. You're not a priest. You're not the great high priest. And even if you were, you couldn't go in there every day. That old Moabite begins to weep. And he walks away. The gatekeeper overhears him saying, Oh God, I guess there's just no hope that I'll ever get to come in your presence. Now that's the setting to which Hebrews 10, 19 comes to the Jews. Having therefore brethren, boldness, to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. He takes us to the cross. He takes us to Calvary where Jesus shed his blood to pay for our sins. The only way a man can get to God is by the blood of Jesus. The old religious way never got a man to God. Today, ladies and gentlemen, the way of religion, be it Baptist, Methodist, Pentecostal, Catholic, Islam, Buddhism, you name it, whatever the religion, religion does not get a man to God. Only Jesus does. It only the shed blood of the Lord Jesus. And verse 20 tells us that by a new and living way which he had consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, his flesh. You remember when Jesus offered his body up on the cross? They beat and mutilated that body of the Lord Jesus and His blood dripped out of that body. And when He bowed His head and died on the cross, the Bible says over there in the temple, from top to bottom, the veil was rent in twain. As Jesus' body was rent in twain, the veil was rent in twain. You see, the body of Jesus, crucified to that cross, made access, made part of the way for you and I to get beyond the veil into God's presence. And now, because Jesus, as our great high priest, has gone into heaven's holy of holies, he does something for us that no earthly high priest could ever do. What is that? Well, he not only goes into the holy of holies for us, but he can carry somebody in there with him. You think about that. The earthly high priest could go in there alone. He couldn't carry anybody with him. But, oh, ladies and gentlemen, the great high priest. The heavenly high priest carries people in there. And so what a privilege it is to have an unlimited entrance made possible by the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. You and I today can enter into His presence and we don't ever have to stop and pray, God, we come into Your presence. There's no reason we ought to leave His presence today. We have unlimited entrance. Now, what do we do with this glorious privilege? Look at verses 22 through 24. We see here an undeniable expectation. If you have been saved, I want you to listen closely to these next verses. If you're a child of God, it is undeniable here what God expects of you now that He has shed His blood for you. Three times in these next three verses, 
the writer of Hebrews is going to say these words. Let us. Let us. Let us. He is going to lay some expectations before us now that we have the privilege of His presence. Look at the first one there in verse 22. First of all, He says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Verse 22, the first expectation is that you and I are to draw near to the Lord. We're to draw close to the Lord. Just a closer walk with Thee. That's what he's talking about here. The first expectation, now that God has made it possible for us to get close to Him, God expects that we're going to get close to Him. He's given the invitation. He's made the way in His presence possible. Now He expects His children to enjoy His presence. And He reminds us in verse 22 that we come into His presence by the blood of Jesus and by the Word of God. It was the preaching of the Word of God that God used the foolishness of preaching to save your soul. And it was the blood of Jesus that God used to pay the debt for your sin. And so he says here, by the, by the uh, hearts being sprinkled and the washing with water, that's talking about the Word of God. Because of those two things, we get to go into God's presence. Now I want you to notice what it did not say. It did not say, because you're a good person, you get to go into God's presence. I didn't see it at all, did you? All I saw was it says, when our hearts were sprinkled with the blood of Jesus... We get to go into God's presence. We recognize in this verse that you and I have been given a privilege that we do not deserve. And so God expects us to enter into His presence, but He expects us to do it with a right heart attitude, with the right spirit. God expects us to come into His presence with humility. Ladies and gentlemen, you don't strut in God's presence. Somebody say amen. When I, when I was in Israel... We walked up to the southern steps of the Temple Mount. That's very likely the steps that Jesus and His disciples often walked. The common people came through the southern gate there. And as we walked up those southern steps that are still there, there's something very, very unusual about the architecture of those old Roman steps. You see, these steps here, and I'm not much of a builder, but Bruce, tell me if I'm telling the people right, a step riser has what's called a rise and a run. A rise and a run. And so each step, step up seven and a half, go forward a foot. Step up seven and a half, go forward a foot. Step up seven and a half, go forward a foot. And you do that all the way. And they make them the same. But over in Israel, those southern steps going up to that temple mount where the presence of God was, it looks like I built those steps. Because, Brother Bruce, you got one step that'll be four inches high with seven inches of run. And then the very next step will be eight inches high with 14 inches of run. And then the next step will be two inches high with nine inches of run. And then the next step will be ten inches high with 24 inches of run. I asked our guide when I was over there, I said, have these things just been broken down? Or, or did they just... Forget their square that day and their measuring tape. And he said, oh no, they're purposely like that. And I said, why? He said, just walk the steps and I'll tell you. And so I carefully walked up those steps all the way up to the wall there. 
at the Temple Mount, and I walked back down very, very carefully. And he said, what did you notice about your walk? I said, I noticed the steps were all uneven. He said, I know that, but what did you notice about how you walked them? I said, well, I, I watched them. He said, I watched you walk those steps, and you had your head bowed the whole time you were walking those steps. In fact, you didn't bring your head up because you thought you were going to fall. So you were carefully approaching the temple mount. Your head was bowed as if you were a worshiper in reverence with your head bowed going into the very presence of God. I wonder if we ought not to just put some steps out here and, and, and get me to build them. So when you come into this place, you come in with your head bowed slowly, reverently, thinking about what you're about to do. That's God's expectation. You can't strut up those southern steps in Israel. You'll fall on your face. Are you following me today? You come into God's presence. It's expected that we draw near, but it's also expected we draw near in humility. I remember some of you that went on the mission trip last summer up to Delaware. We stopped on the way home in Washington, D.C. We went to the U.S. Capitol building, and one of the uh, congressman's representatives took us into the Senate chambers, and they were having some discussion about something up there in the Senate. And they put us through some metal detectors and told us before we went in there, they said, now, I want y'all to be on your best behavior. There's not to be any talking. Guys, take your hats off. Don't be cutting up. Don't be having any outbursts. Be very, very serious. And if you're not, we will ask you to leave. You could say that in the halls of the U.S. Senate, they were asking us to be reverent to the place and the occasion where we were. When I think about the house of God, ladies and gentlemen, I think this still ought to be a place of reverence. A place of reverence. I'm talking a place where we come with heads bowed, realizing we're in the very presence of God Almighty, and we're come to worship Him. Now, I'm not suggesting that it always has to be quiet like a funeral, because though we're here to be reverent, we're also commanded and instructed uh, to be uh, uh, lifting up our voices and singing and praising God, but there still ought to be reverence toward the presence of God when the family of God comes to the house of God. There ought not to be a lot of foolishness going on around the house of God. I believe when we approach God's presence in prayer, bow our heads in prayer, we ought to pray reverently. Turn the TV off. Put the phone aside. Focus on God for a little while. Talk to Him. Respect Him. Listen, God gave us this awesome privilege. He tells us to draw near to Him, but He also tells us what He expects of us when we come into His presence. Let us draw near and let us draw near the right way. Verse 23, He gives a second expectation. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith, our hope without wavering, He says. The second responsibility we have uh, is, is to hold fast to this profession of our faith. The word faith there actually means hope. It, it, it seems that these Jews were having a hard time breaking away from their old religious life. And the writer of Hebrews says, now that access is open, you need to lay fast to the reason that you've got hope. You need to lay fast, hold 
to, to the reason that you've gotten to God. Lay hold of Jesus and put your complete attention and trust in Him. Not in religion, but in Him. Now, most of us were not saved out of religion. Some of you might have been saved out of religion, but most of us were just flat out saved out of old sin. Most of us wasn't saved out of religion. But did you know that there does remain a danger for saved people today? That we might turn back to an old worldly way and backslide? And to which the writer of Hebrews says here, we need to hold fast to the profession of our faith. I'm not talking about losing your salvation. I'm talking about neglecting the privilege of His presence. We need to be careful. Look there at verse 23. It says, For He is faithful that promised. In other words, if God's going to be faithful to you, you need to be faithful to the Lord. You need to live for Him. Don't, don't live for the church. Don't live for religion. Live for Jesus. You know, Jesus didn't save you and say, Live any old way you want. He saved you to live for Him. He saved you to walk in the newness of life and hold fast the profession of your faith without wavering. In other words, be consistent. Be consistent. That old lie will pull at you. Does your old flesh ever pull at you? Old flesh kind of goes to pulling at you and trying to drag you back down into that old world the way you used to walk in? Listen, when the flesh pulls on you, hold fast the profession of your faith. Lean on Jesus. That's God's expectation. He says, I'm here. I, I've allowed you into my presence. Don't neglect my presence. I'll help you live the way I want you to live. Now, there's a third expectation, but it falls under the last heading this morning that I want to share with you. And that's what I call an unceasing encouragement. An unceasing encouragement. Look at verse 24. Beginning in 24, he says, Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Now, so far, the expectation here has been for you to look at your own Christian life. Now that we have God's presence, look at your Christian life. Live in humility. Be faithful to the Lord. That's the expectation so far. Now that God's given us His presence, draw near to Him. Be faithful to to him and be humble. That's all he said so far. But he goes now a step further, but now he says, You're here to look out after other lives. Watch this. He says he expects us to look at other believers and provoke them unto love and good works. That word provoke means to stir up, it means to stimulate. We're supposed to stir up. And stimulate. Stir up and stimulate. Now, there's, there's all kinds of ways you can encourage people. All kinds of ways you can encourage people. But here's what the text was really getting at. He says that we provoke one another unto love and to good works. Unto love and to good works. Unto loving Jesus and serving Him. Here's how that might look. You might encourage somebody today by saying to them, Hey, when we were singing a while ago, He is here, hallelujah, I, I heard you singing, you had a good voice, you ought to sing in the choir. That's provoking them unto a good work. Or, it sure would be a blessing if you'd start coming to Sunday school. We could use you in our Sunday school class. 
Now theirs promote provoking them unto love and unto good works. You see, that's important. We need to be encouraging people that way when we come to the house of God. We need to unceasingly be encouraging people and stimulating them to love God more and to serve God more. Not just tell them they got a pretty shirt or it's good to see them. Encouraging people goes further than that. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, they can get, hey, that's a good-looking shirt. We're glad you're here. They can get that down at the bar. We need to go a step further. If, if somebody here today, Brother Ronnie, has quit singing in the choir, then we need to go to him and say, hey, didn't you used to sing in the choir? You need to get back in the choir. We miss you in the choir. And that's how you need to be encouraging, provoking somebody under good work. Or if they quit coming to Sunday school, you need to take it upon yourself to go to them and say, hey, we've missed you in Sunday school. Why don't you start coming back? Why don't you start coming back? Encourage them. Now, that's the context of, uh, of verse uh, 24 and 25. Really, that's the context of verse 25. Look at verse 25. And that's where we're headed right now. He says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, watch the encouragement, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now listen, ladies and gentlemen, we're called now because we have God's presence and an unlimited access and interest to God's presence, we're called to be here. And we're called in that presence of God to encourage and exhort one another to love God more and to work more for God. You follow me so far? That's what we're supposed to do in God's presence. But you can't do all that with other believers if you don't ever come to church. If you isolate yourself from other believers. Now listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. I know I'm talking to people that are here, but maybe I'm talking to somebody listening by internet today. Or you, you've got the replay and you're listening. Or maybe you're here and you ain't been here in a while. I, I'm not picking on you, but I, I just want to say this as, as plainly as the Word of God says. You need to be at the house of God when there's church going on at the house of God. Amen. Amen. I know you're here today, but listen. It's real easy to let things hinder you from coming to church. It's real easy. You work all week. You, you have the weekend to catch up on all the things you didn't have time to do during the work week. And then Sunday comes, and guess what? Sunday is the hardest day of the week to get out of bed. Now, I had a long night last night. I got up this morning 20 minutes before I had to leave to come to church. It only took me 20 minutes to look this good. <laughs> now, brothers, I want to tell you, it was one of those, I was laying there, Brother Gary, and I was thinking, which of the deacons could bring a message in my absence today? I, I, didn't, I didn't want to get up out of bed. It's hard sometimes, isn't it? Y'all look so spiritual at me, y'all know. If I can get that way, surely you can get that way. But we got to fight the flesh and say, listen, we're going to church. We're not going to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And ladies and gentlemen, when you get here, just getting here, I mean, that's good, but the job's not done. You get here so you can do the rest. What if you just showed up at work tomorrow and said, well, I ain't going to do nothing. It's just enough that I showed up. How long would that work with you, boss? That don't work with God, either. We're not to forsake the assembly of ourselves together, but we get here, then we do what verse 24 says. 
uh, there's, there's some folks, they get to church, they plop down, they never do what they're supposed to do. They never give an encouraging word. In fact, people like that, if you hang around them long enough, they'll give you some discouraging words, but they'll never give you an encouraging word. You and I are supposed to be a, a source of unceasing encouragement to everybody. Can you imagine what it would be like if you came into this place next Sunday and everybody you sat next to just started agging you on to love Jesus more and agging you on to serve Jesus more and you couldn't go anywhere without somebody inviting you to a Sunday school class or trying to get you in the choir or trying to get you to help them serve and do something for Jesus or trying to get you to uh, give a testimony or trying to get you to do something? Can you imagine what this place would be like if everybody was doing that? We ought to constantly be encouraging each other. I'm trying to encourage y'all. Y'all encourage me, too. Let's encourage each other. Now, look at the end of verse 25. How often should we do this? It says in verse 25, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Did you see that? What day is he talking about? The day the Lord returns. The, the closer we get to the coming of the Lord, the more we ought to be at the house of God, the more we ought to be encouraging everybody to love each other and love God and serve God. We ought to be at the house of God more and more to encourage people more and more. If there was ever a time when Christians ought to be getting together more, it's today. I don't know how people get along without a church fellowship. Call me old-fashioned. But unless you're providentially or physically hindered, you ought to be at the house of God, listen to me, every time the doors are open. Now, I want you to hear me right here because I know there's going to be somebody in the crowd. There is in every crowd. I've heard it a dozen times. There's always somebody, Brother Randy, that's going to say, well, the Bible never says you got to be here on Sunday night, and it never says you got to be here on Wednesday night. Ladies and gentlemen, let's just get honest and cut out foolishness, okay? Sunday night church is not legalism. It's not legalism. It is assembling so much more as you see the day approaching. The Sunday morning's the time of worship. What is so much more? It doesn't have to be Sunday night. It can be Tuesday night. Y'all want to start going off Sunday night and start meeting Tuesday night? Anybody? We'll do that if that works better. But we do Sunday night because it's so much more as you see the day approaching. That, that's, that, that's not legalism. That's just obeying this verse of Scripture. Now, if you don't want to come to church on Sunday night, that's between you and God, okay? But don't try to play it off and say, well, it's legalism. Here's what you just need to say. Just be as honest and just say, preachers, I don't want to come back. At least then, if you'll get honest, we can have a decent conversation. We've got to cut out all this foolishness making ridiculous excuses. No, ladies and gentlemen, we don't come. Not We just don't come because we don't want to come. But I need the church. And you need the church. Let's get rid of the excuses. Just say, I don't want to be there. And I don't want to be the unceasing encouragement God has called me to be. God wants you to be an encouragement. It's not just you come here and get something. You come here and give something. You say, well, if I don't come, it won't matter. Yes, it will matter because there's somebody here that God's got you here to encourage. And they're not going to get encouraged this week if you're not here to encourage them. And besides all that... This is His presence. We're meeting and worshiping together in His presence. Thank you for joining us today. Pointing the Way is a ministry of Northside Baptist Church in Dallas, Georgia. 
If you would like to contact the ministry, you may write Pointing the Way, 120 Northside Church Road, Dallas, Georgia, 30132. Or visit us on the web at www.northsidedallas.com. Until next time, open God's Word to point the way for direction in your life.